Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association podcast, hosted by the Council for Early Career Athletic Trainers. The views and opinions expressed by speakers, guests, or others who have provided materials to and for this podcast are not necessarily those of the IATA. The IATA assumes no responsibility for, nor endorses any of the comments, recommendations, or materials that are provided. Do you need CEUs? Check out the IATA website where you can find a link to EVP Central, working in collaboration with athletic trainers to continue Indiana's tradition of excellence. Welcome back to the IATA podcast. My name is, I'm your host, Casey Hebenstreet. Um, and we're continuing with our series of catching up with past IATA presidents. And we're lucky enough today to have um, a truly pioneer in the world of athletic training. A, she's a NATA Hall of Fame member, an IATA Hall of Fame member, a Glad Golden Pinnacle Award winner, the, um, the Indiana Athletic Training um, Association president, as well as the Glad Association uh, Athletic Training Association president. Um, today we have Katie Grove uh, with us. If, Katie, would you like to, uh, after I kind of stole all your thunder, if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit more? Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> So yeah, um, my name is Katie Grove, and I am actually a um, originally from North Dakota, but spent boy a uh, total of twenty seven years, which is how I got to get to <laughs> I got to know Casey at Indiana University, which was by the way um, a great time in Bloomington. That was a, a great place to live. Yes, I also kind of curious if, if if back in those days, if you if you know, out of all of my class, if you said like, this one's going to be the one that's going to be involved, would that actually have been me? Because I don't think it would have been. <laughs> you know, that's inter That's an interesting question. I, 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 I probably don't think so. But you know, but, but this is, this is my thing. I recently went back to my alma mater, which was the University of Montana in Missoula. And I actually got a, a, another award. My family laughs. <laughs> They laugh and say, not again, but it was an alumni award. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway, one of the things that I brought up, which I think is so important, is the value. And for all of us who are professionals out and working and thinking about the late bloomer, the person who, because believe me, when I was in college, I was a late bloomer. You know, I was, you know, my GPA once one quarter, we were on quarters was like a 1.75. Uh, my dad threatened to pull me from college. It wasn't that I wasn't partying. I mean, there was that, but it was just, I, I didn't get it. I didn't know what I was doing. And so when you talk about you and, you know, some people just, it takes longer for that to surface, right? Yep. So it wasn't until between my junior and senior year in college that I sat in a class called sports medicine. And by up to that point, I'd been a German major, you name it. I mm -hmm. even student taught, but um, I remember sitting in the classroom and the light, the light bulb went on and I thought, <laughs> this is really cool stuff. Yeah. And so then I got to my senior year and my grades were great, but yeah. <laughs> of course my GPA that time was in the tank, but, <laughs> but, but I am, I, you know, so, nothing surprises me anymore. And even if people early on, you're looking out and you're seeing all these students and you think, I don't know who's, you, you never know who's mm -hmm. going to, you know, rise to the top and actually get involved. So 
Um, I'm so excited <laughs> that you are the one who has who has gotten involved. And mm-hmm. sounds to me from your description of your your journey thus far, you've really learned. You I mean you you've really rolled with the punches, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what athletic training is about. You got to be flexible yep. and things change and you have to say, okay, here I go this direction when I was going that direction. So yep. that's a long way to say, you know, I don't know if you were, if you consider yourself a late bloomer, but here you are. You're right. Here we and are. <laughs> you're representing yourself well. So anyway, that, that was, um, basically, I think, um, my first job was at Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and I was there for five years. Then I went back for three years to Indiana State, which is where I got my master's. And at mm-hmm. the time, when I got my master's in 1974, um, we were just post Title IX, which passed in 1972. Mm-hmm. So the whole year before I got in, Marge Albaum, who was, has been our NATA president in the past, she mm-hmm. was the only female. And the year that I got in, I kind of came in mid-year, I think there were 10 or 12 females. So, so a huge difference. And so um, got my master's, worked under another Hall of Famer. His name was Mel Blickenstaff. He was from Indiana State. And I have to say, he was a real progressive because at the time, mm-hmm. this was the choice, Indiana State or Arizona. Now. Mm-hmm. You know, Terre Haute, Indiana, Arizona, where would you want to go, right? <laughs> yeah. But the only school that accepted women was Indiana State in, in Terre Haute, Indiana. So, and after that, things really took off, you know, yeah. Indiana and all my other <coughs> alma maters. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was all good and um, went back to school and got my doctorate at the University of Missouri and then um, had the opportunity to come back to Indiana and I thought, boy, I don't know. There was a song out at that time, Casey, that you wouldn't know, but it was called Indiana Wants Me, Lord, I don't, I can't go back there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I remember I, I that was that. playing, <laughs> that was playing in my head thinking, okay, should I? But um, it was, it was to Bloomington and, um, you know, I stayed there for all those years. So yeah, I really loved it. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> Yeah, when I was coming back to Indiana, it was something about Indiana being a flyover state. So uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you thought really is that the story of my life? Yep, <laughs> going back, going back. <laughs> um, so you were the Indiana um, Athletic Trainers Association president from 2000 to 2004. You were the ninth IATA president. What was the landscape of athletic training? at that time. I, I know kind of earlier on in the United States, they were one of the few that actually kind of admitted women at that point, but, you know, kind of a little bit later on, what was kind of the landscape of athletic training um, when you were president of the IATA? That's so long ago, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just tell you that the first thing that I can tell you was that leading up to that, I was the um, chair of the NATA Women in Athletic Training Committee. Now, the, the reason I, that becomes important is because one of the things that we wanted to do was to really give women an opportunity to be leaders. Mm-hmm. And we formed our own committee 
to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because at that time, it was hard to get women into leadership positions. So at that time, the position came open and I thought, you know, I got to put my money where my mouth is. And so mm-hmm. I ran for office and I think there were two other people and lo and behold, I won at that <laughs> time. Um, the landscape at the time, we were, I think I was right after Kip Smith, mm-hmm. our beloved Kip Smith, yep. right? And um, there was still some dealings with licensure, state licensure. We had already switched, I think, from certification to licensure. Mm -hmm. And so there were still kind of those byproducts related to licensure. And I remember it was quite traumatic because we were trying to decide things like, do we send documents out? Do we email things? (laughs) I mean, you know, there was, it, it was really one of those points where we had some people still doing this and some people Mm -hmm. doing this but so there were some issues around that there were a couple of and I'll and um I I don't I won't forget this or I do not forget (laughs) this there was a group of athletic trainers in within the state who was um very upset and didn't feel like that they had been given the opportunity to take the exam the BOC exam I don't know if at the time it was NATA BOC or not, mm-hmm. but um, they contacted their um, their um, um, state legislator and uh, in their in their area of the state, who I really got somebody got a hold of me, our lobbyist, and said, "Hey, we got a problem. Mm-hmm. Some people in the state are saying this, and uh, there are people on the board who, when we're wanting to make changes to our bill a little bit, and they're saying, wait a minute." We can't do that if they're not treating the people in our part of the state mm-hmm. the way they should be. What are we going to do? So um, I thought, okay, this this is the time when you're the president. You have to decide what mm-hmm. you're going to do. So um, I spoke to our lobbyist, who by that time I think we had switched to our present lobbyist. He was great, and um, I got a hold of the BOC, and I had gotten all of the talking points about what the issues were with the exam. And I actually, um, you know, responded to all of those concerns Mm -hmm. and it was sent to the legislator. And I think the next day we were going up for our state meeting and I met with that person to make sure that they got the, 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 what I considered to be the true information. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so I guess my point is number one, um, there were fires to put out. Yeah. And you have to you have to put everything down and respond to those fires because they do always seem to come right at the point when <laughs> they're in a meeting deciding to vote yay or nay. Which brings me to the second thing, which is one person, one person complaining to their, their legislator can have a huge effect on whether a bill passes or not. Mm-hmm. So never, ever underestimate the power of one when it comes to that, you know, um, and that's, that's something that I found all the rest of the time along, you know, they're good friends with this person who says, Mm -hmm. I heard from so-and-so and and they said this, and I'm not going to vote for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you always have to take even one person, take that and make sure that you get kind of get it cleaned up. So there was a lot of that that went on. Um, I believe during that time we had been meeting up in Indianapolis once a month. Once a month. I remember mm-hmm. Kip Smith and I would drive up 
to those meetings, <coughs> excuse me, um, drive up to those meetings. And so we had our first e-meeting. And at that time, there was no Zoom. There was <laughs> none of this. So it was a giant. We had to set it up in another building. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think it was by the music school, maybe. I don't know. But it yeah. was quite a production. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. But, you yeah. know, but that was the first time we did it. And it took a little time for that to continue. So. You know, I think that we were kind of betwixt and between because I think the internet and things were changing how mm-hmm. everybody functioned. And and also we just you just have to keep people happy during that time. Yeah. Meet with people and go out of your way. So that was, you know, kind of that was the time that I was in. Yeah. So I, I, you had mentioned like, you know, kind of one of the big things kind of putting out those little fires. What were some of the other kind of uh, that you can maybe remember main accomplishments of uh, your time as the president? Well, I think that we did start um, the e-news. I think we've, we began the first e-news that went out, which nowadays that's nothing, right? That goes <laughs> out. But, you know, there were, that was something that we were heavily I think that we were involved in. And again, that was deciding some people didn't have an email. <laughs> Everybody did. So we had that that we had to contend with. I mean, I um, let's see. I'm trying to think, you know, there were there were political action things that we had to continue to support. And that's mm-hmm. always a thing within the state, right? Trying to get support. We yeah. also did did something that it was funny that we had never done it before is that I contacted, I got the, um, the Pacers and the Colts to become sponsors. Now, okay. it, seems, it seems now of the IATA that that would be a no-brainer <clears throat> considering that you take care of their athletes mm-hmm. as, as athletic trainers. But, you know, there was a matter of trying to contact them and, and so trying to develop, help and develop the sponsorship program a little bit. Okay, okay. So kind of switching more to the, um, the, the fun side of athletic training, not quite the uh, kind of focused in on the president part. So what were, some of the, um, what were some of the things that you really enjoy about the profession of athletic training? I have to say, and it's funny you ask that because I, I think you ask any athletic trainer and they'll say the relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you and I got on and talked memories for a period of time. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to. Um, um, I would say the relationships would be number one I would say number two would be the students and if there's anything I miss it is sitting in my office when I was just over academics Mm -hmm. and watching the students walk by and having them knock on the door yeah you know and talking and talking to the students so I you know those to me would be the two and to this day those friendships that I formed even early in my career in the 1970s mm-hmm. are still my friends. Yeah. And I think that, that we can never underestimate and, and we can, we should not forget that not every organization has this kind of, I guess, loyalty mm-hmm. and, and kind of the same mindset that, that we do as athletic trainers. So yeah, those would be my two favorite. I would almost say, I mean, you, you had mentioned relationships with, you know, colleagues and students, but to me, I, I love, you know, the relationships I have with my athletes too, and being yes. able to get the chance to, 
make those relationships. And I, you know, I've always said that one of the great things of why we can, we're able to do what we, we do is because we do get to know our athletes so well and we're there for them, you know, for the highs and lows. And, um, you know, especially with, you know, when you come to concussions, like, Hey, he's not acting right. What do you right. mean? I, I know this kid. I've been right. with him every day for the last three years. Right. Right. This isn't normal. Thing. Right. That's kind of what yeah. I love to be able to have those relationships with my athletes and really get to know them and them get to know me and, you know, have, you know, be jovial and have fun with them and, yeah. you know, be the person that they're going to come, you know, turn to when, you know, if something's wrong. Right. You know, that that's true. The, the athletic training room, or, you know, we all, we all now we call it the clinic, mm-hmm. but to me, that's kind of a sacred place Yeah. because as much as possible, coaches should stay out um, <laughs> because once they come in, the whole dynamic changes. Yep. And so, to be in there in this place where people feel safe is extremely important. And then, then you've got those relationships and um, Kyle, it's been probably 10 years. I don't know. I had a, a softball player and I took care of them and she asked me to come out. She was inducted into the Indiana athletics hall of fame. Mm-hmm. And she contacted me and asked me if I would come back to Bloomington. She just wanted, wanted me to be there. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that just meant the world to me that somebody would continue to think, yeah, think of me in that setting. So yes, all of those things are so important. <laughs> what would you say were some of your uh, favorite memories um, or favorite moments as an athletic trainer? Favorite moments as an athletic trainer. Um, golly. Um, what would it be? I, I, you know, I, I remember um, early on, long before I was at, at Indiana, but I was at Eastern Michigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I guess that was the beginning for me. And I remember at that point, just in general, thinking how much I liked it. And also, you know, these kind of bizarre experiences you have, because <laughs> We traveled, I traveled with the women's basketball team. Now this would have been in 1970, like 77 or 78. And um, Casey, I don't, you were not even around. Nope. But, <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I remember that it happened to be a winter when I think the weather was terrible in Indiana, Illinois, it was bad. We traveled and the bus broke down um in Chicago on the south side of Chicago and we ended up somebody two people were very sick and we took them to the hospital and gunshot wounds were coming in oh, wow. I mean the police ended up um they shut down the city mm-hmm. you know, and we ended up playing the game but trying to get back yeah. was just another experience and I think one of the things that stands out for me that I really appreciated was that I felt like after it was all over that people felt like I was somebody who could be trusted mm-hmm. and somebody who could keep an even keel. Yeah. You know, as athletic trainers, you have to be able to, you know, when, when things get tough, you've got to just take it down yeah. and just deal with it and not get too wild. So mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that I thought that was, okay, I was able to do that. And, and I was, you know, respected because of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to think what else, you know, I just had, uh, such wonderful times with the faculty and staff mm-hmm. when I was at IU, 
and we just had so much fun together and I think really appreciated each other. Um, I can't, you know, I can't, it's funny. I can't pull out one thing. It's, <laughs> it's this whole career yeah. that I feel like how many people can step away from their career and say, I loved what I did mm -hmm. and I will always be an athletic trainer at heart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can always remember there were, there was a time when I was traveling with our women's soccer team um, when I was down in Texas um, and it was, you know, a bunch of girls from Texas going up to um, kind of the middle of Kansas in November, December timeframe. So it was a lot colder than any of them have been accustomed to in any way. And I remember I was wearing kind of like, you know, tights type thing underneath my, you know, khaki pants for the game. Cause it was nice and cold there. And remember we were going into PK shootout, uh, going into a PK shootout and there was some blood on one of the girl's knees. So I was like, all right, well, let me just wrap this up real quick before we, before you right. go on the field. And as I bent down, I, you know, the entire crotch of my pants just completely ripped, <laughs> just completely shredded to nothing type thing. So I'm sitting there, you know, it's obviously, and, um, you know, nothing's exposed or anything like that. Thing. But after we end up losing the PKs and, you know, some of the girls were crying. It's like, Hey, you know, this really sucks, but at least you didn't rip your pants. Yeah. And they kind of look over and they're, just, and they're tears and they just they kind of start laughing and they're kind of trying yeah. to be bummed and crying, yeah. but they're laughing at the fact that yeah. that just happened yeah. as well. Well, but, you know, <laughs> now that you mentioned that I did have kind of an experience like that. My first job, I was teaching first aid and in a class and I had on a jean skirt that snapped all the mm -hmm. way up. And at the time, skirts were, you know, like mid-calf. Mm -hmm. They were a little longer, snapped up. And so at one point I had to kneel down to do something in class. It was first aid and I stood up and my knee caught and my skirt snapped, unsnapped, <laughs> all the way up to the top snap. <laughs> and I was appalled, right? <laughs> and, and the worst part was nobody laughed. <laughs> nobody laughed if somebody would have laughed but it would have been kind of eased over a little bit <laughs> oh my gosh I snapped things back up and afterwards I went and hid now at the time you know now I look back on it and it was you know it was it was kind of a funny thing like that but yeah there were those little kinds of experiences that um yeah what were some of your most unique experiences that you've uh, been able to be a part of and been able to do as an athletic trainer okay that's a good one. Um, you know, my, the first, the first, I think this is the, my memory mm -hmm. um, of the first, I say real injury. It was on my first job at Eastern and the gentleman who was, had been there for a while and was taking care of wrestling was mm -hmm. not there. And somebody came down and said, help, help, help. You know, we've got somebody dislocated their knee. So I went, running up there and they had dislocated their patella mm -hmm. laterally. Okay. So I thought, I know what to do here. They told me that what I should do is I should straighten out the leg and the patella should pop back in. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I straightened out the leg and what happened? Nothing. <laughs> patella. And I remember to this day thinking everything I ever learned was, was that. wrong. <laughs> Luckily, the, the, the gentleman who, uh, he came back up and just said, you know, you need to pick the patella up and, you mm -hmm. know, it got in good. Um, another one was, I was working at the same university. Um, I think it was a Mid-American Conference track meet. 
-hmm. And somebody threw a javelin. And you can imagine what happened next. <laughs> yeah. Somebody at the other end decided they were going to go across the field. And the javelin ended up in their back. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, people are in the stands because, ah, yeah, you know, it doesn't look good, right? Yeah. And so um, then, you know, that experience of, you know, you always tell people, don't pull out. If they're impaled with something, don't pull it out. But everybody mm -hmm. was saying, pull it out, pull it yeah. out, which didn't happen. But as it turned out, we had a, a cutter and, you know, it, um, we were able to transport him sitting up mm -hmm. and they were able to get rid of it. And, and he was yeah. fine. He had his arm in a sling. Mm -hmm. but, but then the other thing that happened at the same school had to do, we were covering high school some big high school track meet indoors. Mm -hmm. And at the time there were very few places where kids could run track, do field events indoors. And mm -hmm. so um, all the coaches proceeded to leave for lunch. And I want to say there were 500 high school boys. I don't know if it was that many Yeah, running around in the gym. <laughs> <Just> chaos. <laughs> yeah. I was down in my office, which was just down the hall. And again, somebody came in and said, help, help, help you know, mm -hmm. down the hallway. So I went, went in and he had tried to do the pole vault and missed the pit, right? Oh. Yeah. And so he came down and he obviously hit his head mm -hmm. and he was, you know, having convulsions and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't tell where he was from because he was wearing not a high school kind of thing. So yeah. We decided to, we, I decided some other guys running around saying, Bob, we used to do blah, blah. Yeah. So, you know, we, I said, go call the ambulance. Mm -hmm. They called the ambulance. The ambulance came. And of course the door they were supposed to come in, there was a chain. So they couldn't get in that way. You know, it was like that comedy of things. And mm -hmm. so finally got in, finally got him transported. And then all the coaches came back for lunch and I waited by the front door and said, do you have an athlete named da da da? Yeah. And I said, well, this is what happened. So Japanese <laughs> no. coaches, they walked in. Is yeah. This yeah. Yours? Is this one yours? Yeah. Yeah. By the but way, the he's on his way to the hospital. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Just so you know. So that yeah. was a lesson for all of us. Yeah. Um, the other one I had, which was at, which was actually at IU was an athlete who came in, it was a football weekend and she came in and she had a really sore shoulder. She was a softball player had a really sore shoulder. And so I worked on her, went back to the game and then found up, she ended up in the hospital that night with these terrible headaches. And um, then they eventually sent her to the hospital and come to find out, well, I'm still not sure to this day, but I think it might've been like a um, meningitis, <coughs> a viral meningitis. Oh, wow. So she was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and I would go up every day and they had to move her in a facility because like a lot of kinds of infections, she was not, was not thinking straight. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody actually could figure out what it was at the time. What I didn't know was that a few weeks, a few days before I first saw her, she had been down visiting her brother and she got lost. So something was going on at the time, but mm -hmm. it was, um, it was a pretty, wild experience yeah um, yeah yeah I, and then I guess the last one I would say was somebody was again a softball player who um, was playing out of position she was playing first base she usually played 
I think second base mm -hmm. and somebody hit, um, hit a ball and she came running down the line and, and my player who was playing first just collapsed on the ground. Oh. <clears throat> and I thought maybe she had gotten hit, but, mm -hmm. um, she had a, a cervical spine issue. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it was, it was one of those things that was, you know, this, um, cervical spine contusion. She mm -hmm. wasn't ever hit, but we ended up, this was up at Northwestern. Yeah. Transporting her. I mean, stuff that you think, well, that's not supposed to happen. But <laughs> yeah. This anyway, is, this is the weird one that kind of pops in. Yeah. It was cervical spine. Um, um, we, we had to immobilize her and, um, anyway, um, she came out of it, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I have something, I remember having a couple of years, a few years ago, having, uh, a, one of my wrestlers, um, you know, we had just gotten done um, in a, at an open and we we're kind of getting on the getting on the bus and kind of comes up because, you know, my forearms kind of sore. It's like, well, you literally had to drop out of your last match because you'd already wrestled your full allotment of like, I think, six matches in that day. Right. And yeah, I kind of expect you to be a little sore. That's that's right. all right. But, you know, let me know if anything changes. But yeah, I, mm -hmm. I'm you know, this is our second weekend of the year in terms of competition. You just sure. wrestled your full amount. Yeah. I expect you to be a little bit sore. Yeah, I get a call. This, this was on Saturday. I get a call on Sunday that from one of my coworkers, like, "Hey, I saw your I saw your athlete today, um, just because we had a basketball game the the next day, and the doctor was there. So he had just decided to go see the doctor um, while at the basketball game. And all of a sudden, I kind of get this call from you know both of them and let them know it's like, "Hey, by the way, your athlete got sent to the hospital." Wait, what? Why? Yeah. He was in the hospital for about three, for about two weeks, wise with a uh, major cellulitis infection up in his arm. There was no broken skin on his hand, no broken skin on his arm through the match, through anything. Have no idea where it came from, but it just kind of, kind of started creeping up his arm. They wow. think so. He was in the he was in the hospital for about yeah. uh, a week and a, a week yeah. or two with yeah. this uh, kind of fighting off this infection. It's like that's a that's a new one for me. I mean, usually yeah. there's got to be something where it comes in as we can't find anything from there. So wow. here's just wow. this kind of random infection. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, those are the kinds of things that, you know, I'm sure doctors keep themselves awake at night thinking, how could I have missed that? But yeah, you know, what are you going to do? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So here's kind of switching the little bit more gears again here a little bit, but you know, we'd always like to know what are you up? What are you up to now? What do you do kind of as you're retired as your you know athletic trainer retired? Um, right. I know you're up in Minnesota there. I know you still kind of work with the Minnesota Athletic Trainers Association right. as right. well as still involved with the NATA. But what are you doing outside of that? Okay, so um, you know, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Casey. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> I have this <clears throat> when I teach my class that I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> sometimes I lose my voice, even though I use a amplifier. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, before I left IU and retired back, back up here to Minnesota, which is, I love the Twin Cities are great, mm -hmm. but that's my world. So um, I had to decide if I was going to maintain my credential or retire my credential. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided some people have maintained their credential when they've retired because they want to work um, extra events and make mm -hmm. some more money. I decided to retire my credential, but, but the good news was, is that you could, when you retire your athletic training credential, 
you can still serve on committees. Um, mm -hmm. You can, you know, if you've got ideas, you can get people in. There's kind of a misconception that once you retire it, you're done. Yeah. But, you know, I was, and so that's why I retired my credential, but yes, I'm still working with um, the Minnesota in their governmental affairs, which I, I, I find governmental affairs kind of fascinating mm -hmm. as crazy as that sounds, but <laughs> anyway, I know. Um, so when I retired, I thought, what am I going to do with myself? Am I going to lay around on the couch, which, you know, didn't sound all bad. <laughs> doesn't sound terrible, but <laughs> it doesn't sound terrible to anybody, but you know, what am I going to do? And, um, my sister said, oh, you're going to find something. And it's true that people need to know that when you retire, things, you know, they kind of come up, particularly mm -hmm. you've been involved and you think, okay, I can do that. Um, and I got involved with <clears throat> the, um, there's, um, um, oh shoot, I can't think of the name of it, but I've been involved with the History Center a little bit. So annually mm -hmm. they have, within the state, they have this big program where junior high and high school kids write these papers or do these productions and you know they go through a region and the district and the state and then they go to national so i do at least grading and helping with that a little bit mm -hmm. um and um but the one big thing well i'm playing a lot of tennis mm -hmm. which i'm not very good at but i still like <laughs> um but the one big thing that i did get involved in because this is out of indianapolis the headquarters mm -hmm. for rock steady boxing is indianapolis and okay. when I was there, I think it was, well, it basically started in 2006. And in 2014, which is about three years before I retired, they started to have affiliated programs. Mm -hmm. So within the state of Indiana, I would venture to say that almost all towns or cities mm -hmm. had at least <clears throat> one rock steady boxing program. Mm -hmm. So Jackie Kingma, you know, Jackie, um, who is still at IU, she, mm -hmm. she had um, gone out to the rock steady boxing program. And there was an athletic trainer who was running that program, by the mm -hmm. way. And so um, I decided to go out and check it out. Because I thought again, what am I going to do with myself? Mm -hmm. And I went out and I thought, oh, this is kind of cool stuff. So rock steady boxing is actually now an international organization. Okay, They have programs boy, all over, all over the world. And last year, pre-COVID, um, I was down in Australia going to the Australian Open Tennis Tournament. Oh, wow. And by the way, I went to Tasmania because who doesn't want to say they've been to Tasmania? Exactly. Did you see any devils? I did. <laughs> but it was in a, you know, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't out. Um, so, but they had a rock steady boxing program in Australia. Now that's a massive, that's a continent, mm -hmm. right? But I did get a chance to go to their program. So mm -hmm. it's it's international. It is a non-contact boxing and fitness program. So there's no actual head hitting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you possibly could get in the ring, but it's mainly just to do mitts or, or something. Mm -hmm. So there's no real competing with it at all. So I um, got certified before I left in mm -hmm. Rocksteady Boxing. And then I came here to Minneapolis and there was one program in the city in Minneapolis at a gym and um, they already had volunteers so 
I thought, okay, I went up to a place called Monticello, which is about 30 minutes north of Minneapolis. And for mm-hmm. a little while, I volunteered there, mm-hmm. <clears throat> got to know a little bit, but I still didn't know much about boxing, right? Yeah. Because what do we think when we see boxing head injuries? Punch, uh, concussions. <laughs> concussions, right. Yeah. Or, you yeah. know, back in those days, punch drunk syndrome. <laughs> I yeah. think, it's, think it's what it was called. <laughs> so I thought, I have to take a boxing class. Mm-hmm. So I started to take a boxing class and I found that it's a really, really interesting sport. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think the thing that surprised me the most, besides the fact that the conditioning that is involved is out of this world. Yeah. I think there was an ESPN study um, where they looked at all of, a whole bunch of different fitness um, areas and they compared sports and they found boxing at the top in almost every one of those sports. Oh, wow. Um, um, but anyway, um, so I took the, I started to take the class and understand the class. So the thing that surprised me the most about boxing is cognitive, how much mm-hmm. you have to think or not think while you're doing it, because mm-hmm. every punch that you throw has a name. We mm-hmm. always think about cross and uppercut and all that. Yeah. And though there are six different names of those punches, mm-hmm. but each one of them is also assigned a number. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. So um, in our gym, when we talk about, okay, we're going to do, this is what you're going to do. This combo, you might say one, two, four, two, six, two. Mm-hmm. And so in your mind, you have to think about how, now this is a one, this is a two, mm-hmm. where's my four? So and they'll say, speed it up or slow it down. So mm-hmm. there's a real cognitive component to it. Okay. And then you add in defensive skills, mm-hmm. like slip, slip or roll, whatever it is. And it becomes a really taxing kind of sport itself. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, the things that you do in boxing are very adaptive to people with Parkinson's. Parkinson's is a neurodegenerative um, disease mm-hmm. of which there is no cure. Mm-hmm. There are various things you can do. There is There um, are medications that you can take. For those people who have tremors a lot, mm-hmm. um, there is something called deep brain stimulation. And um, the other thing that I like to say is the third thing is exercise for mm-hmm. people with Parkinson's. And so <clears throat> what I brought, I think, to this program was that not, I'm not a boxer. And believe me, at some point, the gym that in Minneapolis was bought out by a bodybuilding gym mm-hmm. and weightlifting. So I, I went from three boxers when I started mm-hmm. after two months and I gained 33 boxers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Over in our gym in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now I, I got their coaches and I co-directed the program until mm-hmm. this year, um, the person I worked with stepped down mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, but, um, they have brought some of those people have competed mm-hmm. and their knowledge is in, um, maybe fitness, but boxing. Mm-hmm. What I bring in is when we do different exercises and we coordinate let's just say that we do squats, mm-hmm. you know, because of my background and I'm watching somebody, I, when they start to have a knee that caves in a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say, 
you know, you got to go straight down. So my background as an athletic trainer, I can mm-hmm. pick in those kinds of things and it might be due to muscle weakness, but yeah. anyway, so it's a really nice combination of um, a relationship with an individual um, mm-hmm. boxing and then it fitness. And in one hour, because of my background and working with athletes, I, I, I push them hard. Yeah. I push them as hard as they will go. And mm-hmm. our boxers could be um, very functional still or not functional at some point, mm-hmm. you know, their function, there's only so much they can do and they, you know, their symptoms, but we can really, the theory is that we can really slow down the progression of those symptoms. Mm-hmm. And anytime I develop a program or the other coaches do, we always think about what's our topic going to be today. Is it posture? Is it balance? Balance is huge in boxing. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it strength? Um, The other day, uh, at least for the month of October, our focus is on multitasking. Mm -hmm. So, because if you've got somebody with Parkinson's and they don't feel stable and they're walking through a crowd, they have to keep walking, but they have to avoid what's going on. So, you know, you, you, I mean, mm-hmm. the sky's the limit when you develop these programs, but yeah. it's, it's really interesting. And I found out a lot about Parkinson's because mm-hmm. of it. And the, what I found is the people that I've worked with, they are amazing individuals. Parkinson's is like a small part of their life. Yeah. They have these great backgrounds and some of them, you know, the age group that I have, there were several people who were in Vietnam mm-hmm. and they perhaps, because we don't know we know that there could be an environmental cause for it. Mm-hmm. It could be something like Agent Orange. There could be chemicals that mm-hmm. maybe induce this. So, you know, but it's, it's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Sounds like a, it sounds, sounds amazing. And you said there, there are these gyms all over the, all over the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So the nice thing about our gym is that we're in a boxing gym. Mm-hmm. Um, in some places, there are now a couple of others in Southern, um, Minneapolis in a couple of suburbs I think Mm -hmm. one's in a in a retirement center and maybe one is in a clinic so the nice thing about a boxing gym is that you can come into a gym and not feel like you're going to the doctor there's something Mm -hmm. wrong with you so you come into the gym with people who are boxing in the ring Mm -hmm. who are doing some really heavy weightlifting Mm -hmm. Um, so I never call them patients I just call them boxers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because that's what they are. Right. Yeah. They're they're, you know, words have meaning. So Mm -hmm. if I treat them like that, if I call them like that, and it's been educational for all of these other people in the gym who can say, Mm -hmm. whoa, look at them, look at how hard they're working. So, yeah. Uh, Sounds like a, sounds like a great organization and a great, a great thing to do to, to keep you occupied and kind of Give you another yeah, I feel like you're down. volunteering and doing something. I mean, I do get a gym membership. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, the other coaches get paid a little, <clears throat> but I, you know, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in those settings. So yeah, yeah. So I have learned a lot. I'm also myself. I'm. We've got one of the coaches who played professional basketball. He he goes by Q, and so myself and another young woman <laughs> are going in the ring with him, and we're doing mitts. Okay. So it's a half an hour, twice a week, maybe three <laughs> times a week. And I got to tell you, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And he does not let up on it either. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, 
but you know, he sometimes if you don't keep your mitt up, he'll give you a little love tap. But... He'll, he'll remember to you know remind you to keep a keep those uh keep the yeah. He'll up. put his hand out here. Now he's six eight. You know, so you know you're going like that. So <laughs> reaching but up anyway, it's it's a it's something that I think we don't see as many athletic trainers in mm-hmm. that I think we could see because I think there's we bring first of all we bring the people skills mm-hmm. right um, we bring the adaptability. Um, we bring the love of medicine with us really. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so I think that I see fitness, I see PT getting involved. Mm -hmm. I really would like to see if people retire, um, for instance, or even now they don't usually pay at these places, but you know, it's something for, uh, for other athletic trainers to continue to consider. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So anybody who listening, if you want to look up, uh, you know, rock steady boxing and, you know, potentially look in to see if, if, and when you might be able to, uh, um, get involved in that as well. It sounds like it's a, uh, it's, it's a great a program. Great and program. You know, like I said, all I needed to do is I walked into this gym and the guy that owns the gym, his name is Dalton outlaw. He has four little, <laughs> boys, right. <laughs> four little boys. He's a golden gloves boxer. Nicest guy in the world is a real community guy. So mm-hmm. You know, he'd heard of the program and he was up for it. So he pays the affiliation and I run the program. And yeah, so anybody can start it. Yeah. Sounds sounds great. Yeah. So sounds that's what great. I'm doing. All right. Well, I think that's just about most of what we uh, kind of what we have kind of set up for wise. But before we go, I, you know, I, I have one last question for you. And that's, you know, what advice would you give to current athletic trainers or or current athletic training students and, or those that are just now kind of looking to get into the profession? That's a great question. I would say a couple of things. The first thing is I like to, I like for us to think about the power of one. I've mentioned, I've mentioned already about how much power one person can have politically Mm -hmm. in the legislature and that you can start a program like this one person mm-hmm. can do it. And so, um, and when it was in the 1994 that I put in a proposal to the, uh, to GLADA for the Women in Athletic Training Committee. Actually, it was to um, the gentleman who was going to be the president of the NATA. I put in a proposal to form the Women in Athletic Training Committee. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, with a little bit of this and that, it was accepted. So number one, don't ever underestimate what one person can do and you just got to try it and see what happens and why not why not have that one person be you (laughs) exactly that's the way it should be that's the (laughs) thing why not have that one person be you Mm -hmm. um and the second thing i would say and i have to credit dr gretchen schlabach who was at northern illinois university i don't know if you knew her casey um, or Dr. Kim Peer, who was at Kent State. Oh, she's still working at Kent State. Mm-hmm. They wrote a book on ethics in athletic training. And the one and only book that's still out there. And one of the things that they got me really into was figuring out what your core values are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when you were there, if we really talked about it much, it was probably after that. Because I really thought, Kali, I wish somebody would have done this with me at the time. You know, we come out of a family and we have family values and Mm -hmm. maybe your school or your business has values, but 
what is it that you really stand for? The importance of that for me is that when you get in a setting where you are discussing something, maybe even with a coach, Mm -hmm. and you're discussing why this has to happen and the coach is saying no 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 it's it's good to remember that the reason why I am fighting for this so much is because my top core value is this Mm -hmm. that might not be in their top five list yeah so rather than make it become too emotional it is based on what you really believe in like my top core values are fairness is number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is integrity. And number three is respect. The NATA has recently started to, and this is because of Dr. Schlaubach and Dr. Peer, Mm -hmm. present actually core values for athletic trainers. And, you know, they, everybody might be a little bit different, but I think if you know what it is you stand for, you can approach the world in a different place, not that you don't know what you stand for. Mm-hmm. You know, why is this bugging me so much? It's bugging yeah. me because my top value is fairness and I'm not seeing that happen. So mm-hmm. I would say explore what it is you stand for. Always a, a great, great piece of advice. Just to kind of, I've always kind of put it as, you know, how do I want to approach my practice and how do I want to approach, you know, my team and, you know, how yes. I do things and have a ride along those lines. What do I stand for? And why am yes. I, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing going forward from, from that standpoint? And yes, you know, yes, absolutely. Base, base what I'm doing off around that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Fan, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Katie, thank you so much again for, for joining us. Um, you know, we really loved having you on we look forward to hearing from you again and later on in the future. And thank you so much for all you've done for the athletic training oh. community and you know, the IATA as well as the NATA and GLADA and everything else that, you know, everything else that you've done. We, we thank you so much for everything you've done. Well, you're welcome. But, you know, athletic trainer at the core <laughs> till the day I die, it's right here. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. All right, Good thanks. luck. Good luck. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association podcast hosted by the Council for Early Career Athletic Trainers. The IATA would like to thank Elite Sponsor, Methodist Sports Medicine, Silver Sponsors, Myotech Sports Medicine and Community Health Network, and Bronze Sponsor, Ultra Ankle. Be sure to follow the IATA on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for information on upcoming events.